The Holy Gospel according to John, the sixth chapter. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for all these people to eat? He said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because the strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The Gospel of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. So... This gospel lesson about Jesus feeding 5,000 people is one that's always been fascinating to me because in a lot of ways, this is the high point of Jesus' ministry. And there are a lot of high points in the ministry of Jesus that we lift up throughout the year, but it's the highlight of Jesus' ministry because it's one of, the, one of the first events where we see very clearly a couple things. First, that Jesus was preaching to a lot of people, 5,000 people. Now, I I just got back from Detroit where we had 30,000 Lutheran youth, which is just a tremendous amount of people. And and also, just to brag a little bit on what the youth did there, we had 30,000 Lutheran youth there. And each day, we sent 10,000 out to go and do service in Detroit, an average of uh, about four hours each each group that went out each day. So that's over 120,000 hours of service that went to the city of Detroit when you put it all together. And that's just... I don't know about y'all, but that just really is hard for me to imagine what that looks like. And, and if you, any of y'all have me on Facebook, you might have seen that I, that I posted a picture or two. And uh, so if, if you look up on Facebook or Twitter or anything, look up Eric the Lutheran, and you can see about the, the 300 pictures that I posted during the week. And if you look up the National Gathering, you can see pictures of all the things that were done there. I think, I, I think they said that there were like uh, 4 million diapers that we collected that there was something along the lines of uh, 430-some feet of hair that people donated. And there is all kinds of things that you can hear about what happened in the city of Detroit. And 
And this is really actually something that relates to what we hear today because we went in like a lot of people do when you do a mission trip. And what we expected was that we were going to meet Jesus there and that we were going to do some good things for the people of Detroit. But I think what, what some of us suspected might happen, but none of us really expected the magnitude of it, is that when we got to Detroit and found God already at work and started to work among the people that God loves, what we realized is that what they had to offer us was much greater than what we had to offer them. You know, because we went in kind of expecting to see what you see on the news about Detroit. We went in expecting to see the desolation. You know, a lot of times when you see Detroit in the news, you know, they show the blighted parts. It looks like something out of Mad Max or something out of, you know, just a, a dystopian kind of, kind of movie or book that you might read where after a nuclear bomb has gone off, this is what's left. And, you know, certainly there were parts of Detroit that kind of looked like that. But what we really found was a city that's beginning to recover and grow again. It's not the city we expected to find. And what we found there was a population of people who were eager to see us, a population of people who were welcoming to us in ways that we didn't expect of people who live above the Mason-Dixon line, you know. We tend to think we have the that we tend to think we have the monopoly on politeness in the South, but let me tell you, people in Detroit were nice, you know. And what we found also was was a city that was anxious to be able to experience the kindness and the grace that we were able to bring there, and so it was a really amazing thing. And the way I relate that to what happened in today's gospel is the disciples looked out at the crowd, saw five thousand people, and realized that what they had wasn't enough. They realized that what they had wasn't enough to feed them. What they had wasn't enough to satisfy them. What they had wasn't enough to give them any of the things that they needed. But what Jesus reminded the disciples, that Jesus reminded us in Detroit, is that we are not the ones who are bringing the gifts, but that God is the one who is bringing the gifts through us. Because what I have on my own isn't enough. What I have on my own oftentimes falls short. You know, I had a reminder this week of, of just how vulnerable I really am when I wrecked my car. You know, and I, I, I walked out with just a little burn from the airbag. My car, I don't think, is going to make it. But, you know, two seconds, and all of a sudden you realize that, that our safety is really not as safe as we think it is. You know, our capability and our competence really isn't as capable or as competent as we think it is. We realize that our ability to control things really isn't as great as we expect it to be when you have those moments where you realize that two seconds and everything could really change. And that's one of those things we see in this gospel today, and sometimes things we see in the church too. The disciples were, were worried and they were concerned because they saw 5,000 people and had no idea what to do with them. And sometimes isn't that what it's like to be in a small congregation? You know, I, I was pastor at St. John's in Lexington where we, had, where we had a group that was about this size. And, you know, there were, there were a lot of times when we saw the needs out in the community and we realized, you know, what we have to offer can't completely change the community. But we also had moments where we realized that what God does through us can. I remember about the first or second year I was there, uh, one of our local Marines, Kyle Carpenter, was injured by a grenade blasting in Afghanistan when he, when he threw himself on a grenade. And you all might have heard, on him, heard of him because he's, he's a Medal of Honor recipient now. You know, it turns out that what he did was really amazing. And we thought to ourselves, you know, maybe we can do a little bit of a fundraiser for him and, and we can raise $1,000 or $2,000. And, 
every time we started to think about, you know, how, how can we do something for Kyle? And, and we thought about, well, maybe we'll cook some, cook some uh, Boston butts or some chickens and we'll be able to, to raise some money. And then all of a sudden, the Patriot Guard riders wanted to get involved and the event grew. And then all of a sudden, Reflections in Lexington wanted to donate the space for us to use and the event grew. And all of a sudden, we were realizing that we weren't raising $1,000, but because a lot of the congregations in Lexington wanted to get together with us, this event kept growing and growing and growing, not because we were competent, but because God was doing something through us for somebody in need. And what God did through us was so much more than what we imagined we could do. We raised over $19,000 for Kyle Carpenter's family. Not because we're particularly competent, even though we, St. John's does have very capable and, capable and competent people. But it's because when God's at work in us, and when God's at work through us, and when we get out of God's way and forget our feeling of scarcity and trust in God's abundance, amazing things can happen. When, when Jesus was looking out at the crowd of people, he didn't see them with the eyes of the disciples who saw 5,000 people that we can't feed. Jesus looked at the, at the people who were gathered and he saw 5,000 people who God loves. He saw 5,000 people who were named and claimed and called to be there. He saw 5,000 people who were part of the family of God and knew that what we do at a family gathering is feed people. And Lutherans understand this too, don't we? Jesus knew that what we do at a family gathering is we make sure that all the people who are there walk away satisfied and trusted in God to provide that. And so with five barley loaves and a couple fish, Jesus sent the disciples out trusting in God's abundance, trusting that what he provided them was enough. And they walked away with 12 baskets full of leftovers. You know, and, and it always makes me ask the question when I, when I read this scripture, you know, how is God's abundance waiting to overcome our fear of the scarcity of resources in our churches? And it, it makes me wonder, you know, what some of the stories here at Grace are. Because I know Grace has stories of doing amazing things. This is a good congregation. This is a congregation full of faithful people. And y'all don't have to tell me right now. But I really hope that y'all will take the, the opportunity to sit down after worship and think about, you know, how is it that God is using us in ways we never could have imagined? What have we done that resembles the loaves and fishes where we did more good than we thought we could do? What are some ways that the community is hungering and thirsting for the presence of God that Grace and Gilbert can provide? Because I tell you, we may sometimes feel small, but when God is involved, we are called to do amazing things. We are called to do things that that help to feed people in ways sometimes they don't even know that they're hungry. And that's the other thing about we see, that we see about this passage in John chapter 6 is Jesus feeds the people food and they misunderstand what it is that Jesus is really demonstrating. Jesus is demonstrating to them that in the kingdom of God, the people who are hungry are fed. And it's not just this physical food that we get, even though the physical food is sometimes what we think we really want. The food that God gives to us is the food that feeds our heart. The food that God gives to us is the food that nourishes our souls. I remember when I was about 23 years old, I was getting ready to get married. And uh, I, was, 
I was someone who really didn't want to grow up yet. I, I had only met my wife about less than a year before we had planned the wedding to be, and so I, I was nervous because I had not been looking for a serious relationship. I was not looking to do anything that was grown up. I had not been looking to change my life in such a drastic way, but I knew a few things. One was I needed to graduate from college on a timeline and not just kind of the maybe I'll graduate someday that I was on. You know, I knew that what I needed was a way to be able to be a good husband and a good supporter in our family. You know, I knew that what I really wanted to do was, was be the adult that Lauren needed, but I didn't know how to do it. And so I, I was nervous, and I was scared, and I was worried, and I was just positive that whatever happened, I was going to find a way to mess it up. And so I did what I do a lot of times when I'm, when I'm experiencing those really nervous times, and I, I went and I started to write. And I remember all during the, the couple days that I was writing, I, I was hungry. I didn't understand why, because I kept eating. And, and in my family, we're really good at eating. This isn't just like an amateur activity. Eating is a professional sport in my family. We are professionals. And, and so I ate a lot. And no matter how much I ate, I was hungry. No matter how much I drank, at this point it was coffee and water, I was thirsty. You know, no matter, no matter what I did, I couldn't shake the feeling that I, I just couldn't find that, that feeling of fullness that I was looking for. And Sunday morning came, and I was going to do what I, what I like to do on a regular basis back then, which was skip church. But I also knew that mom was the organist and the choir director, and that when I went to church, mom bought me lunch which was, for a college student, a really good bargaining chip that mom had. And so I decided, well, I'm hungry, I'll go to church, and then at least I'll eat lunch. And so I went to church, and, and I was starving all through the service, and we got to the meal of communion. And I, I heard the pastor say those words that I had heard over and over again for my entire life. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. And I ate the little styrofoam disc of communion wafer, and I drank the little thimble full of wine, and I was full. Because what I needed wasn't the physical food that I was seeking. What I needed was that food for my heart. What I needed was that food for my soul, reminding me that my worth doesn't come from the things that I do. My worth doesn't come from my profession. My worth doesn't come from my education. My worth doesn't come from my family. My worth doesn't come from the from the things that I'm able to create for myself, but my worth comes through the waters of baptism where God has named me his child, where God has claimed me as one of his own, where God has called me into the family and said that your family is bigger than the family that you were born into. Your family is the entire family of the baptized children of God that you are now a part of, and you are not alone. And in my family, people don't go hungry. And in my family, people who have needs have them met. And in my family... It's not just based on meeting our physical needs, but in my family, I feed people the needs of their hearts. I feed people the food of their soul because when people eat of my body and drink of my blood, then they realize that I am the true food and the true drink. And they realize that what they've been hungry for all along is my presence that I have promised through the waters of baptism and through the bread and wine of communion the body and blood of my own son that I have given. And so we gather here today as a group of people who realizes that on our own, you know, we may not be able to accomplish those things that we really hope to. Because let's face it, 
none of us are as confident as sometimes we think we are. And certainly none of us are as safe or as powerful as we think we are a lot of times. And even in the church, when we worry about budgets and we worry about outreach and we worry about the people in the pews and we worry about whether we're going to have enough or we're going to be enough or what we're going to do enough, we hear that same message that who we are as the church and our value as the people of God does not rest in our bank account. It does not rest in how many people are in the pews. It does not rest in how our building looks, even when we have a nice building. But who we are as the people of God rests in what we do in the community that God loves, not because we do it and then understand our identity, but because of who we are, we go out to love the community that God loves, and we discover that God's already there to begin with. We discover that God's already there at work, and we realize that not only are we taking Jesus out there, but we realize that Jesus is already at work out there and inviting us in so the people who we're doing the work with and for and in partnership with are feeding us even more than we're able to feed them and clothing us even more than we're able to clothe them. And what we realize in the service that we do outside of this building is that when we carry with us the only thing that we really have a value to offer, you know, our, our time and our talents and our energy and the, and the gifts that we bring because of what God is doing in and through us, and, and we take them that food for the heart and the food for the soul that they need to hear that they are loved and they are welcome and they are called and they are claimed in the same way that we are, we realize that this is something that they are hungry and thirsty for too. We realize that even though a lot of times it's really easy to list off the bad things in the community, you know, the, the people who don't meet our expectations and the things that the government is doing and all the list of normal things that we moan and groan about, we realize that this world that we're so worried about is craving the very thing that we have to bring as the body of Christ. And that is the good news that they are not alone and that they too are named and claimed and called by the very same God who has named and claimed and called us. So as, as we go out this week and we think about, you know, how is it that God is working something that's amazing and abundant in this congregation. And we think about how is it that God is working something that's amazing and abundant in my life. And we think about how is it that God is calling us to work something amazing and abundant in the community. And then start to get a little bit nervous because those people out there may not be like us. And that's, that's my problem. I know, know you all struggle with that. You know, then remember that God doesn't send us out unequipped. That the very same God who through the disciples fed 5,000 people is the same God who is calling us into the community and promises us that we're not going empty-handed, that wherever we go, God is with us, and that God's abundance always overcomes our, our fear of scarcity. Amen.